Uh, hey, if you have a Bible with you, open up to the book of Romans, the book of Romans. And we're going to be reading from chapter 7 this morning. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Romans chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6. And then um, we're going to dive right in. So we'll read, we'll pray, and then uh, see what God has for us this morning. So Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. This is the word of God. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if she marries another man, she will not be an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now... We are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for who you are, that you're our refuge, you're our strength, you're our helper in trouble, and you're the God of hosts, which means you control everything, God, even the angels in heaven. And we pray that you, God, would be with us now, that you would speak to us. And as Aaron reminded us, where two or three are gathered, there you are among us. So this is uh, worth it, God. And God, we pray that you would speak to us, that your word would be like bread to our souls, that it would really feed us this morning and equip us to live as followers of your son, Jesus. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're working through the book of Romans, and uh, if you've kind of just been trying to follow along, right, Dwayne's been working through the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. He's been going through the Ten Commandments, and then whenever I'm preaching, we're going through Romans, and we hope that it somehow ties together. Uh, we're not, not entirely convinced that that's the case. But if you uh, have been kind of following along in the Romans series, we've been calling it Basic Christianity. And we've been calling it that because Romans was a letter written by Paul to a church that he never met, and he wanted to give them the foundational truths of what it is Christians believe. So Romans really is the basics of what it means to believe in Jesus and what it is that we're supposed to believe about God and about Jesus. And there's really been two teachings that Paul's been concerned with, right? We've been calling them the bad news and the good news. The bad news, as we've seen in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Paul actually summarizes the bad news, and here's what he says. He says, sin came into the world through one man. That one man is Adam that he's talking about. Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. So what Paul's saying there is that in Adam's sin, right, his first sin, he introduced death to the world, and the result is now death and decay and destruction fills our world. Because of Adam's sin, we all are subject to death. That's the bad news. And there's even bigger implications, right? Because what Paul goes on to say is that now all of humankind, kind of like we talked about earlier in the service, all of humankind is corrupted 
by Adam's sin. So we're not born into this world, right, essentially good. We're not born in a right relationship with God. We're actually born in a relationship that's hostile to God. And we're, we're born not essentially good, but essentially corrupt, what the Bible calls being in the flesh. That's what the Bible means when it says we're in the flesh. It's almost like Paul is like thinking of a tree root, right? If you've ever had a stubborn tree in your backyard that looks like it's dying, well, the reason is because the root of that tree is corrupted. And right, if you have a tree and its root is corrupted, then everything that flows from that tree is going to bear death. It's not going to bring life. It's actually going to bring the opposite. It's going to bring death. And Paul says that same thing about Adam, that because Adam, the first human being, sinned, we, as part of his family tree, are now born corrupted and compromised. And that's the bad news. That we, as well as the world, is full of sin and death and decay because of Adam's sin. And that kind of makes Paul's message relevant, right? Because our culture doesn't really give us that message. Our culture gives us the message that deep down we're really good. Anybody here seen Beauty and the Beast? Beauty and the Beast, right? There's this horrible beast and there's... Uh, Bell, who's being held captive in the beast's castle. And this beast is just horrible to Bell. But Mrs. Potts, this sweet old lady, comes up to Bell and says, You know what? He may look like a beast on the outside, but deep down, somewhere deep inside him, you can't see it, but deep inside him, at the core of his being, he's basically good. And that's kind of what the message of our culture is, right? That, yeah, you might be a horrible person, you might cheat on your taxes, you might do a whole sort of horrible things, but deep down, all of us are trying to do good. My grandma used to tell me this too, maybe your grandma told you this, that you're basically good. I have news for you. Your grandma's a liar, okay? Your grandma's a liar. Because that's just not the truth according to Paul, it's not the truth according to the Bible. Bruno Mars, right? We like songs by Bruno Mars. Girl, you're amazing just the way you are. And you know, that song is about physical beauty, so it's not about, you know, our moral beauty. But nonetheless, right, the idea is that basically we're good at our core, and the song, Girl, You're Guilty and Sinful Just the Way You Are, just doesn't have the same ring to it, right? It doesn't quite make the top 40. So that's the bad news. That's foundational teaching of basic Christianity. But alongside that bad news, right, this is what Paul really wants to tell us. He doesn't want to just beat us down. He wants to tell us this good news, this really good news, that... Through faith in Jesus, and just through faith in him alone, that's all it is, through faith. That's it. Through faith in Jesus, we're no longer in that family tree of Adam, but now we're in the family tree of Jesus. And we're no longer corrupted and compromised by sin, subject to eternal condemnation. Instead, by faith, we're now in the family tree of Jesus and stand forgiven and accepted by God. You guys know those whiteboard videos that they have on YouTube where they'll tell a story and they'll draw out kind of what they're saying? You can kind of think of the Bible in those terms, right? The first creation, right, God's creation, you imagine it started out good, but Adam's on the top of it. And Adam, because of his sin, plunged this good creation and now it's bound and chained subject to sin we're all condemned by God's law, we're guilty, and we're all subject to death. But then right alongside that is this second drawing, this drawing of redemption, where Jesus is the head of this new creation. And if we find ourselves in him, we're no longer bound in chains, but in Jesus, we're forgiven, and we have freedom, and we have eternal life. 
And so Paul kind of wraps up this good news. He puts it in these terms. This comes from Romans chapter 6. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. But he put it this way. He said, for the follower of Jesus he's talking about here. He says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but you are under grace. See, you're no longer under the dominion of sin and subject to God's law, but now you're in Jesus and under God's grace, his free favor, his love for you. So that's Paul's message. It's the good news. And this message, right, we saw in Romans chapter 6 led to just a lot of questions, right, because people just say, well, hold on, Paul, if, if it's all about grace, then aren't we just free to live how we want? Can't we just go out and sin? If we're under grace and God's never going to hold us to account for our sin, then can't we just sin? And Paul says, no, that's not how it works. He says, if you think that way, then you don't understand grace because grace not only forgives sins, but it transforms sinners. It, it changes us at the core of our being. And now Paul, in Romans chapter 7, his focus shifts away from being under grace to saying, now you're no longer under law. So all these questions come up with the law, right? The law that we've been unpacking in the Ten Commandments. Questions like, well, if we're not under law, then what's the law's purpose? Why even give it in the first place? If that was never your plan, God, why, why even give us the law? And uh, why did God give us the law? And how should we understand the law? Those are all questions that come up. And Paul in Romans 7 is going to lay down basic law principles. So he's going to help us understand how we relate to the law as followers of Jesus. And in these verses that we just read, Paul said, here's basic law principle number one. And you have to remember this as you leave this morning. Basic law principle number one is that you are released from the law. You see that in verses one through five. Paul says, this is what you have to know about the law. You're released from it as a follower of Jesus. The second thing he wants us to see is verse six, that you are released from the law to serve in the spirit. You're released from the law to serve in the spirit. And that's verse six. So let's look at law principle number one. If you have your Bible, verses one through four, Paul says this. You are released from the law. Verse 1, Or do you not know, brothers? For I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. So first thing, what's Paul saying here? Well, Paul just starts with this basic fact, right? That a law is binding on a person only as long as they live, meaning death releases a person from a law. So think of a person who has horrible debt, okay? person who's run up massive credit card debt. Maybe they have like two mortgages and a home equity line out of their house. They have, you know, student loan debt, undergraduate degree, master's degree, and they haven't paid their taxes in a decade. Okay. So imagine that crippling debt. The bills are piling up, past due notices are coming, eviction notices start entering the mailbox. And this person starts to think, right, I have a legal obligation to pay this debt. I have to pay it. But the money's just not in the bank account. They, they are going to throw me in jail. I know that I have to pay this debt, but no matter how, to, how hard I try, I can't. Now ask yourself, though, if that person dies, 
then that debt can never come against them, right? If that person dies, they are released from that law. You can't extract money from a dead person who doesn't have any money in their bank account. And you can't throw that dead person in jail. Well, I guess theoretically you could, but that, that would just be some cruel and unusual punishment for whoever's in that jail cell with him. But you can't do that, right? Because death releases you from the law. Paul says that's a basic fact. And Paul actually illustrates this with marriage, right? This is verses two and three. Paul says that when people are married together, then they are bound to each other as long as they both shall live. That's actually the vows you take as a married couple, right? I, I will be faithful to you as long as we both shall live. And Paul says, right, if there's this married couple and the wife decides to go and live with another man, she'll be called an adulteress. She will actually break the law and be subject to the penalty of adultery. But if her husband dies, then she's free from her marriage and she can marry another person. Why? Because death releases you from the law. It's just a basic fact. So, verse 1, Paul puts this in a form of a question, right? He's saying this to us. He's saying, or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law. Now, law there, he's not talking about finance law, credit card law. He's not talking even about marriage law necessarily. necessarily. He's not even really concerned about marriage at all here. What he's talking about with this law is he's talking about the law of God, which is summarized in the Ten Commandments. In fact, what we've been going over, the first four commandments, Dwayne has been walking us through the past four weeks. That's the law he's talking about. And what Paul says later on, we're going to see this too when Dwayne works through past the Ten Commandments. But later on in the Bible, we see that along with these Ten Commandments, these Ten Rules that God gave us, was this pattern affixed to the law of blessings and curses. We've looked at this passage before, but it's worth going back and taking a look at it. This is Deuteronomy chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. Notice what God says. So God gave the law, right? And he says to Israel, his people, he says, And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. So you see this pattern developing, right? It's the pattern of if you obey, you're going to receive blessing. Now, a little bit later, God gives a very sober but. Verse 15, but... If you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. So you see the pattern? The pattern goes, if Israel obeys, they'll be blessed. If they disobey, they'll be cursed, right? That's the pattern of the law. Then we see this again, actually, in the book of Leviticus. So this isn't the only place that we see this in the Old Testament. We see it in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 26. So if you flip there, Leviticus 26, God again says, If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then, so it's an if-then, right? Then, he says, rain is going to come, you're going to have a plentiful harvest, you're going to have peace in the land, you're going to have success in war, multiplication of offspring, and a long life in the promised land that God was going to bring you into. So you see that pattern, right? Obedience, blessing. 
But then just a few, few verses over, verse 14, God says, But if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. And he goes on to list that God would bring diseases and panic and fever and drought and invasion of foreign rulers. They'd be defeated in war. It even says that a falling leaf will drive Israel away. So this whole army will be driven away, not by a massive army, but just a falling leaf to the ground will drive them away. And it goes on to say that the ultimate curse will be that they'll be ejected from the promised land cast east of the promised land and brought into exile in Babylon. So that's the law's pattern. Blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. Do you guys see that? And let me just give you a cliff notes of the Old Testament. Right? I didn't actually read any book in high school. I just read the cliff notes. And the cliff note of the Old Testament is this. Israel fails. They disobey. And as a result, they're exiled east to the land of Babylon and they're taken away from God's promised land and taken away from the presence of God. No matter how hard they tried too, they tried hard. There were some kings that would come along and they would reinstitute obedience and they would see these sparks of blessing every now and again, but then ultimately in the end, they never could accomplish God's law. They never could fulfill it no matter how hard they strived. That's why the New Testament, when it speaks about God's law, it talks about it as a yoke that nobody could bear. Peter says it's a yoke that crushed our fathers. Paul, actually, in another area, he calls it a ministry of condemnation. He calls it a ministry of death. And the whole narrative of the Old Testament tells us over and over this story. Adam, right, was given one law. One law. Do not eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And what did he do? He disobeyed and he was cast east, east of Eden. Israel, given ten laws, ten commandments, they fail, they disobey, and they're cast east of Eden. And friends, we, right, no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we strive, we fail, we disobey, we break God's law, and we don't receive his blessing. And whether it's Adam, Israel, or us, we're reminded of this constant failure, aren't we? I was just thinking about this the other day when uh, my son Eli, we had to cut his toenails. And even when I'm inclined to love somebody, right? This is my son. I love my son. And he's five years old, but he hates to still get his toenails cut. And even though he's never been hurt by us cutting his nails, he still screams as if we're bringing him to the slaughterhouse every time we're cutting his nails. And so finally I had it one time. I am literally restraining Eli and I'm screaming at him and I'm saying, Eli, you are six years old. And he's like, dad, I'm five. I'm like, Eli, you are five years old. Grow up, grow up. Even when I'm inclined to love somebody, my own son, I can't love the way that God's called me to love. Now don't even get me started with the people I work with. <laughs> and Paul says, hey, that's what happens when you mix a sinner with law. So Paul in Romans 7, this is verse 5, he says this, right? He says, for while we were living in the flesh, in Adam, before you knew Jesus, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions were aroused by the law, and they were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. What Paul's saying is, hey, you take a sinner and you give them law, the only thing that can come out of that relationship is death. 
You can't get any good fruit from that. In fact, did you see the word that he used? He said that our sinful passions were aroused by the law, stirred up by the law, excited by the law, energized by the law. What that means is the law acts as this stirring up of sin within us. That's, that's actually the irony, right, of all religion. You think of all other world religions, right? They say this, if you're a person who struggles with selfishness and you want to be less selfish, their solution is, well, here's some more laws, here's some more commandments, here's some more precepts, here's some practices, here's some techniques. And at the end of doing all of those things and obeying as hard as you can, in the end, you'll be a good person. That's what religion says. But let me ask you, a selfish person, a person who only thinks about themselves, I this, I that, when you give them a set of laws, when you give them religion, does that make that person less selfish, less self-focused? No, at the end of it, right, they're not selfless. What do they say? They say, I am so much better than that person. I am so much smarter than her. I am so much wiser than them. I'm even holier than the pastor. I'm wiser than everyone here. Because that's what religion does. Law and sinner does not equal good person. It doesn't equal spiritual life. No, Paul says it equals spiritual death. Because that's all that the law can do is arouse sin in us and excite sin in us. So what's the solution then? If religion doesn't heal us, if the law doesn't heal us, if more commandments don't heal us, then what can help us? Well, Paul says, you have to know this. Basic law principle number one is if you are a follower of Jesus, then you have to know this. You are released from the law. You're released from it. Paul says that in verse four, right? He says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who's been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. And this leads to confusion, right? What Paul is not saying is, okay, here's God's Ten Commandments, right? Here's God's Ten Commandments right here, and now you're released from the law and you can just throw it out. It's not what he's saying. What he is saying is that if you follow Jesus and have faith in him, then you have died to the law through the body of Christ. That pattern of curses for disobedience and blessings for obedience has been completely done away with. Why? Because on the cross, when Jesus died, he bore the full curse in our place. Every curse that the law could bring against us, Jesus bore it on the cross. And even better, he now freely gives the blessings to us, even though we disobey constantly. That's what Paul means here when he says you've died to the law. It means that you've been released from the blessings and curses pattern. And you are now completely free in Jesus from that system of law. The cross has defeated it. Think back to the guy who has a bunch of debt. Wouldn't he have thought after a while, man, if I could just die and then come back to life, then I'd be out of debt and I'd just be able to free to start my life over, right? And I'd have a good credit score. Or you think of the person in the marriage, right? And just imagine it's a tyrannical marriage. If they just thought, if I could die and come and 
be resurrected again in Los Angeles. I could start my life over. I'd be free, right? And I could marry another person who would be good to me. Well, Paul says, that's what happened in Jesus. By faith, you're united to him, which means when Jesus was crucified, you were crucified. Which means when Jesus was buried, you were buried. When Jesus' heart stopped beating, your heart stopped beating. You are dead, which means you're released from the curses of the law. And you've been brought back to life, which means all the blessings are now yours. You live in that freedom. See, in Adam, under law, under the dominion of sin, we're guaranteed death, curse, condemnation, but in Jesus, we're under grace and we're guaranteed life and blessing and forgiveness. You're released from the law. And I love what Paul says. It's not that Jesus just died to release you from the law, but he also did it to bring you to himself. Did you catch that? In verse 4, the second half of verse 4, he said, you've died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who's been raised from the dead. See, Jesus bore the curse of the cross so that he could have you as his faithless bride. He wanted to be united to you. He wanted to take you into his fellowship. He wanted to make you his own. See, Jesus died to release us from the law so we might be married and united to him. And that's what many of us just need to hear this morning. You need to hear that this morning. That you're released from the law. You are accepted by God through faith in Jesus. That's the good news. And as a result, you belong to Jesus. There's no curse reserved for your sin. Because that's what we think, isn't it? Financial struggle comes along. Well, what did I do? What did I do? God must be getting me for something, right? Because I wouldn't be going through this financial struggle if, if God didn't hold some sin against me. Or you have a health scare, right? And you think, oh no, is there a sin I'm holding back? Maybe I didn't confess a sin. Maybe I'm cherishing a sin in my heart, and therefore God's punishing me for that. Anybody else think that way? Or your children rebel, and you think, oh, God must be punishing me because I didn't discipline them enough when, I was a, when they were younger. No. Every blessing is ours in Christ Jesus, which means God is not holding any curse over our head for our disobedience. Friends, if you believe in Jesus, you're released from the law, the pattern of blessings and curses, and you're accepted by God. You're accepted by God. Let's close just on this. We're going to look at verse 6, because Paul also says, you've been released from the law for another purpose, and the purpose is this. Verse 6, you've been released from the law to serve in the Spirit. Paul says, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So two things here, right? We no longer serve in the old way of the written code. We don't live as if we're trying to earn God's blessing and stay away from God's curse. We no longer serve that way. But secondly, we serve in the new way of the Spirit, which means the law is no longer an obligation. It's no longer a duty. It's no longer a chore. But now God's Spirit has taken the law of God and he's actually impressed it on our hearts. For those of you who follow Jesus, you know what I'm talking about. When a person does follow Jesus, it's not as if they want to convince God to be approved by God. No, they just want to please God. 
They want to serve him. They want to do his commandments because they know that this is the God who is willing to die for me. That's what Paul says here. We have now been freed to serve out of this overflow of the spirit in our heart. And now the law is something that we love to to do. And we can say we delight in God's law because it delights God. What a great truth. And this is a lesson I've learned over and over again. I'm sure you've learned it over and over again. If uh, you've been married for any some time, you know, I've been married almost nine years now, and I've been a parent for what feels like an eternity. But if you want to be better, you don't look to the law. The law can only condemn us. The law can only show us our guilt. But if we see that guilt and we look to Jesus, it's there. We can actually change. We can actually change. Because Jesus changes us. Because in Jesus we're released from the law to serve in the Spirit. Uh, This is a quote from William Cooper. I'll close on this. He said, To see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear his forgiving voice changes a slave into a child and duty into a choice. See, we can faithfully obey and follow Jesus because we see that Jesus has fulfilled the law, he has forgiven us, and he's changed us into children of God. And now what once was a duty is a choice because we're released from the law to serve in the Spirit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are a good and gracious God who loves us. You're a God who knows the number of hairs on our head, and God, you know the number of sins we've committed even this morning, but those are things that do not withhold us from your love because you've demonstrated your love for us in sending your only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. God, thank you that no curse hangs over our head. Thank you that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is ours in Christ Jesus. And we thank you that you have given us your spirit, written your law in our heart, and now we desire out of that overflow to serve you, God. Thank you for your love. Amazing love. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray by your spirit. Amen.